Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, I'm Matt Simon Cooper, and alongside me is a colleague, uh, Rian Esterhuizen. Um, we, we both work for, for Vox, which is a, a precious metals, uh, a high growth precious metals royalty company. We've, we've got a portfolio now of over 50 royalties and streams right across the globe. Uh, and I guess we were established back in 2014. And since then really built quite a unique IP in terms of a, 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 an existing royalty database. We've we put together a technically focused team, which uh, includes myself, Rian and, and Spencer, another colleague who, who all work on the deal sourcing front. Um, and I guess the culmination of that has been that we've been one of the faster growing royalty companies in the space over the last uh, couple of years. I am our VP of corporate development. My background is uh, in mining, engineering, and geology. Um, I've sort of worked in everything from exploration, from greenfields exploration, through to at a, num- a number of sort of producing roles at operating mine sites globally, boots on the ground experience in, in Australia, in, in Central Asia and Africa, and joined Vox about five years ago, initially in a technical DD focused role, uh, and have since expanded that into this sort of corporate development and getting in front of new opportunities. Um, Rian is, uh, is our EVP of Australia. Uh, obviously we work pretty closely on the deal sourcing and origination front. He's an exploration and mining geologist by trade, worked with, with Ram Gold, Rio Tinto, BHP, uh, very significant sort of multi-commodity and, and country exposure, um, and also a lot of royalty exposure starting initially at BHP, then went on to found a company called Mineral Royalties Online, which was effectively built up that intellectual property and that database. Uh, we acquired MRO and have since obviously been working together to build Vox. Thank you very much, Simon. Rian, how are you? In fact, where are you? Yeah, both? good yourself, Matt. Thank, um, yeah, Matt. So I'm based in Perth. I've been in Australia for 10 years now. Um, as Simon said, I used to work for BHP and Rio. A lot of that was um, across Africa, um, including Southern Africa. Spent a lot of time in West Africa, Guinea, uh, Mali, Mauritania. Um, fair bit of work in the DRC um, as well. So, But I've been in Australia for 10 years now. Um, you know, left BHP seven odd years ago and then worked with Spencer on, on building MRO. And um, we've been on board with Fox um, just sort of six months prior to the, the listing in May last year. Brilliant. Okay, well, I appreciate you guys coming on because we've spoken with um, Kyle and Spencer on a couple of occasions, really interested in what you, how you guys have gone about putting together Vox Royalty. It was sort of, it was one of the standout royalty companies that we interviewed um, this year. So I'm sort of very keen to see what's happening also in, in a, another hot jurisdiction outside of North America being Australia and, uh, what's going on there. So why don't we take, take care of a little bit of um, housekeeping, which is the, the stuff you're going to want to tell me about before I ask you the questions that you probably, uh, aren't prepared for. So you've done three deals recently in Australia. I mean, Ryan, what's happening? Yes, Matt. Um, yeah. So we announced since the, the capital raising in March, we've announced three deals. Um, uh, first one, uh, Janet Ivy, it's a production stage um, asset um, operated by Norton Goldfields, which is a subsid- the Australian subsidiary of uh, the global Sijin Mining Group. Um, at the moment, they are um, sort of mining and trucking ore to their Paddington Mill. Uh, the big catalyst for us, however, is that they last year 
approved a 15 million tonne per annum heap leach project at Bunduli, which is um, immediately adjacent to uh, the Janet Ivy mine. So uh, that should be in first production by March of next year, and we expect we'll see a significant ramp up in uh, production from Janet Ivy. Um, the second royalty we acquired um, pre-production called Otto Bohr. It's a 2.5% NSR, um, located five kilometers to the east um, of Northern Star's Thunderbox operations. Um, it's a 170,000 ounce resource. Our royalty covers the southern half of that, and it has been flagged previously as um, an asset that will be mined as a satellite pits to the Thunderbox operation. So uh, that's pre-production. We expect that could um, advance rapidly um, over the next couple of months. Um, the third royalty, again, Western Australia, um, we acquired the Bullabulling royalty. It's a $10 an ounce royalty. It's a pretty large deposit, a total of 3 million ounces. Our royalty covers approximately 775 thousand ounces of that. Um, also interesting for us is that uh, Norton bought back another royalty over that deposit uh, in late 2019, uh, paid 3.1 million for it. Um, and for us, that's good news as it signals intent um, on Norton's part to advance studies and ultimately develop that project. Um, so those are the assets in, in Western Australia we've acquired. Um, I'll just briefly mention the latest acquisition was our first royalty in Nevada. Um, we just acquired a 0.633% NSI with the South Railroad project, which is operated by Gold Standard Ventures. Um, very excited about um, sort of getting our foot on our first royalty in, in Nevada. So also looking forward to, to growing that portfolio over time. Um, but at this stage, as you say, we heavily weighted still to Australia, uh, 30 plus royalties, mostly Western Australia. We've got a few assets um, in Queensland, South Australia, um, et cetera. But at this stage, the focus is, is heavily still on Western Australia. But, the, you, but to, to what end? I mean, how, how do you profile or prioritise the types of royalties that you want to go after? Because, you, know, you know, funds are limited. So you've got to go for the good stuff, the low hanging fruit. So you've got to go for the good stuff first, one would have thought, because, you know, we talked to Carl and Spencer and it's like, oh, it's about cash and cash returns and we want one times multiple. You know, we don't, we don't want to waste our money on stuff which isn't going to deliver th that sort of profile quickly to us. Because, you know, if you look at, look at the marketplace, you I mean, your share price has been up and down. It's, really, it's been on a roller coaster ride um, here because so, it's affected by gold prices, it's affected by answers from the Fed. It's a, you know, it, it's very reactionary to what market sentiment is. So, You've got to be really on it. So, talk us through what you what you tend to look for or want to look for in for Western Australian deals. Yes, so I think you know for us, it's continuing to do more of the same. So, really, predominantly still focusing on on sort of assets which are sort of twelve to twenty four months out from from that first production. Um, but again, it's it's looking to ultimately replicate some of the transactions that we've done in the past. Where we've been really successful with some of the I guess, catalysts that have come from those projects at breakneck speed sort of compared to what we've even expected. So as you alluded to, I think um, you're absolutely right. A lot of the Australian counterparties that we have uh, have very healthy balance sheets at the moment. 
they're very well capitalized um, and they're using that capital to, 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 to our advantage and to Vox's shareholders' advantage. So even just touching on that, and I guess what, you know, it kind of feeds into what we're looking for. We've been blessed with a huge amount of operator updates from our, from our gold or from our precious metals, predominantly our precious metals-focused assets out of Australia. Um, we've got 120,000 metres of drilling just across some of the key gold assets. Um, we've had four different sets of, um, of high-grade sort of or bonanza-grade effectively in some cases drill results out of, out of those precious metals assets. So we've had Bowdens, which is the largest undeveloped primary silver project in Australia, which has come back with sort of you know, up to 10, 10, 10 metres at sort of over 500 grams per tonne and in some cases smaller intercepts is over 1,300 grams a tonne. Had two advanced stage royalties, which we acquired fairly recently. So one in February of this year, and this kind of you know feeds into what do we look for? This is what we look for uh, on that asset. They've had some bonanza grades, so sort of one ounce per ton over three meters, uh, and another asset called the Kukainu project, which is um, again some sort of 19 gram per ton. Uh, sorry, three meters at 19 grams per ton. They're advanced exploration assets. They're within trucking distance to an existing mill so um you know uh, acquiring them at obviously a deep value and we've seen this catalyst play out but probably most interestingly we've had what looks to be a new discovery on an asset that we acquired um last year for a hundred thousand australian dollars so at, at this stage um it's it's still early days but it's over genesis minerals uh what we call the kukaini melita project um, they've flagged this discovery as an area called Puzzle North um, and it's adding to their existing 1.6 million ounce deposit um, and it's developing into, look, it's early days, but it's developing into a pretty significant um, shallow gold mineralized zone which has the makings of an open pit. So in terms of what we look for, we look for those royalties that, again, 18 to 24 months out, but also where we can perhaps see and others maybe aren't, see those, those sort of fundamental uh, catalysts that are going to drive value. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get to the heart of your strategy and why it's different. Because when we've interviewed royalty companies, there's some out there who will just do a deal for the sake of doing a deal. Right? It doesn't matter what the cost is. Kind of just get noticed, get something you know in the bank. Literally just let, let's write, we, we, we got some deals going here and they'll generate cash at some point. And the return profile is almost secondary, right? And then there, are, then there are kind of groups who who are not don't seem quite clear what it is that they're after. They're, again, they'll they'll take anything. They don't want to overpay, but they'll they just want to do a, a deal. You, you guys seem very honed in on North America, Australia. I get that. Um, precious metals, primarily. I, I get that. Um, but. How are you using the, your database, the thing that you know, Spencer and uh, Rianne have um, put together to increase your chance of success? Because you know, there's going to be, you, you could probably prioritize that database in terms of um, you know, meeting your profile, not meeting your profile, getting a deal done versus getting the right deal done. I mean, how do you, how do you go about using it on a, on a week by week basis, yeah. or month by month basis, however, however you work? Yeah, look, I think it's 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 a big part of what differentiates us as you know as as Vox is we have that database that's been developed over the ten years uh, that's got you know when we acquired it was sort of north of seven thousand it's now north of eight thousand royalties, but I guess how do we leverage that 
Um, I guess what we do is we look to high grade it. You're absolutely right. We sort of look at, uh, we will run screens consistently to get in front of, you know, different opportunities that, that kind of fit what we're looking for in terms of acquiring royalties. And what it does is it helps us, as Rian alluded to, get in front of unconventional sellers. It, it gives us the ability to transact um, bilaterally more often. Um, it, it's not to say that, you know, every time we get in front of opportunity, we're the first one there, but for a lot of them, we are. Um, and I guess as a result of that, it's been one of the reasons that, you know, we are the second larger for, largest holder of royalties in Australia sort of after Franco because we have, you know, tapped into and targeted the database for there. So we've kind of seen the opportunity to say, hey, Australia is a great mining jurisdiction, obviously a little bit biased, but, you know, it's hard to argue with. Um, and, and, you know, as a result of that, we said, let's go and, you know, wrap up those opportunities or acquire those opportunities while we still can. We have a very robust and structured due diligence process as well. So, I mean, through the database, we're able to identify, you know, many opportunities. So, you know, we, we follow a, a very specific due diligence process in, in trying to identify which of those opportunities have a clear pathway um, to moving up the exploration curve to, um, to the development stage. So and that's a big part of it as well for us is, you know, obviously high grading the database, that, but then also having the ability to quickly screen uh, through that process. And I mean, some of our team members have sort of come from the, uh, the big majors um, and we try and sort of apply best practice due diligence uh, that you would typically find at those companies. You know, we, we do things like resource range analysis, uh, which, you know, at the junior end, you don't often see that. Um, and, the, and sort of going through that process sort of helps us to uh, determine min and max cases uh, when we look at opportunities, even at the exploration stage. So we look at an asset, we can try and, it, it, it's not an exact science geology, as you well know, but, you know, at least gives us a handle on the potential upside um, of an asset when we look at it and whether there are any fatal flaws um, when the operator claims there could be a million ounces. You know, so we, we actually have a good look at that and see if that's real. And you know, that could include looking at um, things like the strike extent of um, the host geology and, and the width of the geology. And you could do a simple volume calculation and based on historical drilling work out that you know a million ounces is simply not achievable you know based on on the geology on the tenure so so we run through those sort of exercises to quickly filter out the lower quality opportunities um, and then high grade things that we pursue um, but I mean the, the three WA uh, recent acquisitions are all uh, projects uh, that we could see in production. Um, in the next 12 to 24 months. So why, why are you taking what the company says at face value? I mean, we, we re retail investors have to do that. Why don't we? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, we have the responsibility of deploying shareholder capital. So, um, and, and Matt, if you, you know, at the expiration end of the market, there's obviously, um, you know, a lot of explorers and that are not in the business of actually finding a deposit. You know, it's just just a case of turning turning things over. Something like resource range analysis would actually expose some junior companies potentially. You know, if you if you ran through the exercise, you could quickly see um, that there's simply not enough upside there. Um, but 
you know, a, a portion of the junior market, obviously not all of them, but, you know, certain portion, you know, would absolutely not do that sort of exercise because it could kill projects quite quickly. So, so explain that because that's fascinating to me because I, you know, we've got a lot of family offices and retail, high net worth, et cetera, on here. He, you know, they take at face value what the company says because it's all regulated. It's fine. Um, but the reality is somewhat different. You know, we say there's about, you know, it's about 70% of the companies that we talk to have got no chance of getting into production, which is what you need. There's no point in having an SR or you yes. know, royalty or whatever unless they get into production. So you've got higher standards yes. that you, you, you've got to uh, ensure. So what are these easy methods? I mean, how, how could we employ your sort of uh, diligence process, just for, as you say, you keep saying the word simple, it's quite easy. Let us in on the secret. <laughs> um, yeah, Matt, I mean, it's not, it's not overly complex, the exercise itself. It just takes a lot of work, but, um, you know, the, the majors do this routinely. Um, I mean, a BHP would do this over a project, um, you know, you simply look at the, the resource, you take the available information and you build um, and you try and work out what the limitations are to, to the deposit size. Um, and, and we can sort of take those tonnages, um, you know, an optimal case or a max case, um, and then we feed that through a sort of risk-free uh, while thinking through the probabilities that things will move from the one stage to the next. Um, and, and that sort of ultimately feeds through to us um, getting to a indicative NPV. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, there's still a lot of assumptions in there, but going through that process, you can absolutely identify fatal flaws. Um, you know, and and you you're correct. I mean, things are regulated. Um, you can't just make statements in on stock exchange news releases, but. I mean, you can call things expiration targets and have aspirational goals to get to a million ounces, those sort of statements. Um, and those are the things we can absolutely test for through doing just simple, robust geology. There's like, so I, I, I said there were, I, I used the number 70% and, you know, but lots of CEOs throw that at me, something that's higher, but um, how... What what sort of what's the sort of success rate? A basic success rate. Of when you, how many projects do you need to look at to be able to say here's one deal? There's, there's two ends of the spectrum, right? I think there's there's the end of the spectrum with respect to does it pass the technical DD hurdle, uh, and the other end of the spectrum is do we have a, a motivated seller? Um, so you know, Rian can maybe touch on on the number that that pass the, the technical DD hurdle. Um, and certainly there's a lot that we pass on and we pass on them uh, early and relatively quickly, right? Again, that's the beauty of having 8,000 royalties plus in front of us is that you know, we can filter through assets that we either have some familiarity with or through, you know, looking at it for, for an hour or two, we're like, look, this is something that we don't ultimately see progressing to where we need it to progress to. Um, so, th so there are a lot that we pass on. Um, and then on the end of the spectrum, uh, with respect to, you know, is there a, a deal to be done at a price that makes sense for us? Uh, you know, there's, there's, I don't know, it's, it's maybe sort of 20 prospects and, and one of those will get to like an LOI stage. It's, it's a lot, again, that we churn through on that side of the equation, um, trying to find that deal that, that makes sense that's accretive to us um, because it obviously is a, a, a more competitive space. 
Yeah, okay. And so, so to kind of drill, hone down in on that, but it's just quite an important piece of the, the, the mix for us. So if, you, if you're looking as an investor, you're trying to find companies that are going to succeed. And we, we keep coming across, you know, if I believed everything that I hear when we're talking to CEOs, I'd be a very poor man, I suspect. Um, but you guys, it, it's, it's a critical part of your business on the fundamental side because you need to get in the production. I, I, you know, and also as an investor, we can play the momentum play too. So, it, you know, it's, there's lots of ways that the investors can come at it. Um, you, the, the bit there that's kind of interesting to, to me, Simon, is um, when you find something that's right, you've got to approach a company. They're not always going to want to take your cash. But we've had lots of companies on here coming, you know, talking about buying their, their their royalties back. You know that's the mood at the moment because you know cash is is easy. It, it it seems so. How do you get people across the line? What what type of company is more likely to want to do a deal with you? Oh, so I guess the important thing to note is that you know we focus obviously on third party existing royalties, and so the counterparties or the sellers. Um, that we're purchasing these royalties from, they're not always necessarily other mining companies. It, it might be family offices, as Rihanna alluded to. Uh, we've bought from a telco, we've bought from a, a garage, we've bought from a hearing aid company, um, and we consistently get in front of, you know, uh, you know, prospectors, we get in front of family offices all around the world, we get in front of you know, individuals who in some way, shape or, or other have, have sort of, uh, you know, got these royalties in their back pocket. So. Um, there's that end of the spectrum in, in terms of, I guess, you know, not targeting unconventional sellers, but just by way of sort of the opportunities we get in front of, we do see ourselves in front of a lot of unconventional sellers. Um, and, and the other end of the spectrum is, again, we're purchasing not from the project operator. So we're not originating, we're not providing project financing. We're purchasing from, you know, the other mining company, if it is a mining company that holds it. And, you know, each of those companies have their own unique circumstances and, and their own unique need to sort of liquidate and, and perhaps sort of bring in cash. Um, Matt, as an example, the bull the bulla bulling royalty, for instance, we acquired from a private individual. Um, so no competitive sale process. Um, luckily for us, there was no rofer attached to that um, royalty as well. We, we suspect Norton probably would have triggered the rofer if they had the opportunity. Um, yeah, so as Simon says, you know, that's also a key component for us is trying to identify those sort of uh, royalty holders. Right, and uh, this was as one to ask about earlier with regards to the database bit, because there's going to be, and how you prioritise it, because there's going to be some unsophisticated royalty holders who may have either didn't know they had it, uh, forgotten they had it, didn't understand the value of what it was, et cetera, et cetera, or hadn't really been tracking it for whatever whatever reason. Um, is that is that part of the low hanging fruit for you? Because it's also going to meet your other criteria. So you know, I'm sure there's lots of variables. But do you, do you go for them? It is. I mean, and and you know, you're absolutely right. We've come across scenarios where we've approached a royalty holder and they they, they don't know they hold the royalty. And in certain circumstances, we've then also sort of gone on to actually help them find a copy of the royalty deed. Um, so absolutely, that is that's part of the equation. I guess the the differentiator for us is trying to get in front of opportunities that others aren't getting in front of. Um, and I think when you can do that, you naturally lend yourself to having sort of a more bilateral conversation. Uh, and sort of, I know we're focused on Australia, but a big part of some of the other business development initiatives are we we work with deal sourcing agents in parts of the world that 
you know, we're not all that familiar with and other royalty companies are not all that familiar with. And again, it kind of goes to that mantra of getting in front of opportunities that others aren't sort of actively, that aren't actively being shopped or it's not an active royalty market. So we work with guys in, in Latin America and, 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 and parts of Western Sub-Saharan Africa. And again, you know, we obviously have some networks there, but uh, but not as strong as the networks that we have, you know, say in, in Australia or North America. So it's, you know, it, it brings forward those opportunities out of out of the woodwork. And, and are, there, are there certain times of the cycle in terms of, you know, with the, obviously gold and silver are doing their thing at the moment. Is it easier to do business when it just kind of comes off? Because it's been a little bit frothy. We've seen some, a lot of companies are probably well-priced. Let, let, let's, let's put it like that. So that in terms of people's perception of what's going on in the marketplace, it tends to make things more expensive, even with third-party royalty uh, holders. Um, do you sort of poke your head above the parapet and, and when, it, when it is a little bit noisy out there, or do you tend to sit back and wait till things fall, back, fall away again? It's 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 it swings and roundabouts. I think certainly um, in a in a bear market, you know, there's a, there's a, a much greater need for cash if we're buying from a from a from a mining company. Um, and so, you know, a lot of companies are open to sort of transacting and, and liquidating royalties and realizing some of that value. Um, but certainly in a in a in a bull market as well, you've got you know we've got scenarios where we're looking at royalties that we're going to acquire from mining companies who are developing their own projects. So they've sat on these royalties for a long time now, and now they're all of a sudden they've got a, a capex bill on the table to, to to move their own project forward, and so it doesn't really make sense for them to sort of sit on that third party royalty that they've had. So, look, I mean, I think we've been able to transact sort of in both scenarios. Um, I'd say it's probably slightly busier in a bear market, just because you know everybody's looking for cash, everybody's looking to liquidate. Um, and, and bring forward or realize that that royalty revenue earlier through through selling it, but but again in, in both markets there's opportunities. Yeah, Matt, I think in in some instances where we acquire royalties from private individuals, I mean they have totally different motivations um, in terms of keeping or potentially selling those assets. I mean we we bought assets from people who who have bought properties and things and need to settle, you know, so they're not that fixated on exactly what the gold market is doing at this stage. They just need a liquidity event and and a sort of f- fair transaction. So we come across a lot of those sort of opportunities as well. Well, that's what I was And again, I'm trying to intrigue because the whole process is fascinating to me because there's the, 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 um, there's no cycle per se. With If you look at your database, for instance, you've been at this, what, 2014, you said, right? And you've been at it longer than that with the database uh, component round, right? So yeah. it's not a case of, um, oh, there's an optimum time to kind of get out and start, you know, thrashing the market and, and selling and asking questions. It's different people have different reasons to sell at, at different times. So it's a fairly flat process in, in that in that sense. You don't need more cash at certain times of, of the cycle. It's just a case of, You've got to keep knocking on the doors, and you, one day someone's going to turn around and say, "Yeah, okay, now I'm ready." Is that pretty much it? Yeah, yes, Matt. I think that's a f- fair assumption. Um, yeah, we don't, we never sit back and and sort of say, you know, at peak commodity prices, it's not a good time to be doing royalty deals. There are always opportunities, regardless of where commodity prices are, because there's such a diverse range of royalty owners. You know, from from the majors down to um, individual owners, trusts, private companies. So, 
I think across that spectrum is always opportunity for us. So you did a deal recently with Electric Royalties, and I think it was um, two two royalties we're talking about here. Why would a royalty company offload royalties? What, if someone's not getting a good deal, surely? Look, I think there's a way to have a win-win transaction. Uh, <laughs> but I think, yeah, look, the, the nuts and bolts of it, I guess the first part from our side is that, you know, Vox is monetizing two non-core graphite royalties in, in Graphmata and Yalbra. Um, and I guess, you know, the reason that we did that is we looked at the portfolio and we said, we're precious metals focused. We've got, yeah, 70 to 80% of that weighting in precious metals. And we're not really getting a huge amount of value or, you know, for, for these graphite assets. Um, you then look at electric. They are clearly, you know, uh, you know, battery metals or focused on the suite of battery metals. Um, and it seemed like a logical home for those royalties. And it also seemed like a, a frankly, like a logical place where both of us could, I guess, realize or maximize the value of the two royalties. So there's that end of the spectrum. Uh, and then the second end of the spectrum is, I guess, a, a longer term partnership where, again, we've sort of touched on a lot, but we are blessed to have this database. We come across battery and base metals opportunities all the time, given we're precious focused. Um, you know, there's now the opportunity to work with electric and potentially other royalty companies to, I guess, sunlock so, sorry, to unlock some of that latent value that's that's sort of in, in the database. So have you got any other non-precious metal royalties in the portfolio at the moment that you're going to be offloading? We've got, we've got. so again, you know, I guess how we look at the world is we've got that 70 to 80% weighting in precious. We're opportunistic outside of that. So we've got base, battery, bulk, specialty metals in that sort of other 20% range. In terms of whether we're looking to offload them, the short answer is we don't have anything at the pointy end that we're going to be transacting on. But if it's accretive, if it makes sense, if we can kind of structure something like this where, you know, it makes sense, we will look at it. I, I will say we're not going to do that for any core assets. We're not going to do that for a cornerstone gold asset. Obviously, that wouldn't make sense. But uh, to the extent that it's kind of a win-win transaction, we'll, we'll definitely look at it. And then I think what you alluded to a second ago was the fact that with the database, you could identify other non-precious metal uh, royalties, which third-party royalties, which could be picked up. Are you saying you would do that, pick them up, and then flip them, or you would identify them and work with another royalty company and do a transaction and monetize it somehow? Yeah, look, I think it would be identify them and work with a, another another royalty company and perhaps monetize them somehow. Um, again, nothing that we are actively working on on that front, but, you know, this has kind of perhaps opened up that avenue and opened our eyes to, you know, how we could potentially sort of work with others. It's Because I guess it's just time in your case. You, you, you own the database, so it's just time allocated and whether it makes sense. I mean, in the battery metals space doing what it's doing at the moment across the board, it seems, well, very, very heated. Um, are you spending much time doing that? No, look, I guess the, the big upside for us and shareholders is acquiring royalties ourselves and sort of, you know, realising a re-rate off the back of that. So we're not, you know, we're certainly not an investment banking firm that's looking to act on, act on sort of the sell side. Um, again, it's, it's really opportunistic. And as you said, it's, it's making sure, you know, we're not focusing a huge amount of time and resources on that side of things. But if there's an opportunity that pops up and it makes sense and it's something that we can sort of get over the line relatively quickly, um, as this electric deal was, um, then, then you know, we'll, we'll go for it. We sometimes also acquire sort of these additional assets as part of portfolios. I mean, you look at um, the, the Yalbra royalty, which we acquired, we principally, that was a, a gold deal, essentially, you know, a couple of gold exploration royalties. 
And in that package, there was uh, the graphite royalty. So you know, that's something that we just picked up, you know, through that process. It's not something we deliberately pursued. Got it. Um, so, yeah, and something that, you know, could go into the divestment bucket. Right. Okay. Strategically, though, so, so one, 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 one for you, and Rihanna, if you want to chip in, please do. Um, very heavily weighted towards Western Australia. Great. And I think that that's, you know, the market's been really strong and that's, that, that's great. But North American investors, the biggest market in the world, they want to see North American deals. You've just done one in Nevada. Can we expect to see more? Yeah, absolutely. We have a, a, a pipeline of between sort of 250 and 300 like royalties that we've pulled from the database that we run top to bottom front weekly in terms of a, a business, you know, our, our BD call. Um, so look, and there are plenty of those that sit in Canada, that sit in the US and, and that also sit sort of more recently, again, given that deal sourcing, a couple of the deal sourcing guys we work with in Latin America that sit in that part of the world. So Look, yeah, there are some that are uh, much more advanced than others that are at sort of at the pointy end with respect to moving towards LOIs and, and things of that nature. Um, I, I will say this for the most part, not always, but for the most part, that the North American market is, is slightly more competitive just because you have, you know, 20 plus other royalty companies pouring over those, those jurisdictions. Um, but that said, there are opportunities that we are actively working on that are not broadly shopped. Um, or where we do still see see value and feel comfortable transacting within the North American market. Rian, anything to add? Yep, yep. I think, as Simon said, on, on specifically that Nevada royalty, we acquired the royalty from the actual um, individuals that live on the ranch where the project is. So um, that is our focus where possible. Uh, we will avoid any sale process. Um, we're doing a lot of legwork, you know, through the database and our networks uh, to identify under the radar opportunities, you know, to avoid uh, all competitive um, processes and the like. So it's a very careful, meticulous process you've got to go through, and you're kind of purists in that way. Third-party royalties is real simple to understand. We, are you tempted to change the strategy somewhat because you know the your market cap's been you know, sub sub 100 million for, for some time now. You, you, you are doing deals, but it, you're not getting noticed. Ely just got bought. Was that a conversation that you attempted to have or did have? Look, the, the Eli deal is interesting. It's it's probably not a huge surprise to, to us. I think there's been a lot of talk in the industry about consolidation. Um, but look, I guess how we view M&A is, uh, one, we're not actively for sale. Um, and two, we haven't actively looked at, we're not sort of actively in conversations uh, around mergers or anything of that nature. That said, um, if it's, again, you know, as management, we're aligned with this thing. We own sort of collectively 15% of it. So we'd look at it through the eyes of shareholders. If it makes sense, if it's a creative, if it kind of ticks the boxes of why you should do M&A, you know, there's synergy or, you know, you could expect a re-rate as a result of being a much larger company. Again, we'd consider it, but it's not something that we're actively working on. Again, and the reason predominantly for that is that we see a really good runway of opportunities that we're actively working on and we can continue to source from the database where we can go and acquire deals that are value accretive, that, that make sense, that continue to build out that portfolio and, you know, I guess propagate us from, you know, the, the junior space to perhaps the mid-tier royalty space um, and really sort of focus on that at that end of the equation as opposed to m and But again, not opposed to it. It's just that, you know, it's got to make sense, obviously. Do you agree, Rian? 
Yes, absolutely, Matt. Um, and, you know, we definitely have sort of revenues are accelerating uh, significantly at this stage. I mean, we, we've given guidance uh, sort of for this year around the 1.75 to 2.5 range. We expect that to ramp up substantially over the next 24 months. Analysts have us going to 8 million. Uh, we have five producing assets now. We expect we'll and potentially three to five more in the next six to 12 months uh, with additional cash flow coming in. I mean, we should also receive first cash flow from Janet Ivy uh, next month. So we've essentially owned that asset since the 1st of April. Uh, so we all have all these additional catalysts um, and we'll remain focused on sort of funda the fundamental aspects of the royalty business and and keep the faith that you know if we stick with that, we keep on growing cash flow and number of producing assets that um, you know that ultimately will um, see us grow substantially. So you used the word accretive earlier. What, what's your definition of that? What does that mean for Vox Royalty? I think we're trading at sort of around 0.8 or 0.9 times NAV, which we're not hugely happy about. Uh, when I think a lot of the space trades are sort of between you know one and a half and two times NAV. So you know, I think first and foremost, we look at things on a, on a net asset value basis. Um, and frankly, we need to make sure that we're beating beating that uh, the multiple that we're currently trading at for it to be accretive. Um, there's obviously a whole slew of other metrics to look at with respect to sort of cash flow and revenue and the multiples off the back of that. I think they become a little bit more dangerous because some of the uh, some of the acquisitions that are out there that are done perhaps on a cash flow or a revenue basis. Um, can can look expensive. So we tend to focus first on net asset value. And again, just making sure that we're sort of acquiring at less than what our net asset value is. And as Rian alluded to, we are certainly hoping and expecting that there's a pretty serious re-rate on where we are at the moment, just off the fundamentals. I mean, cash flow alone, we've got, um, you know, analysts have us sort of doubling into next year. The number of producing royalties that we have looks very similar. So you know, in our eyes, we're expecting certainly that we're trading well north of where we are. So is that, sorry, just remind me, so it's doubling the, the number of royalties. Is it doubling the cash, the dollar amount? Yes. Yeah, so at the moment, we've got, well, yeah, sort of as we listed, we've got one producing royalty. We have five at the moment. We're expecting uh, that to be eight by the end of this year. Um, we, in terms of the, the cash flow and I guess the, the guidance on that, the guidance we put out this year is between 1.7 and 2.5. Um, analysts next year have us going to six and then eight the year after. So that really comes from, uh, I guess, obviously assets coming online, um, a, a whole slew of assets coming online. We've got 30 royalties at the moment that have some level of uh, study or engineering works on them. About 10 of those we can point to um, having as, as real near-term catalysts for real cash flow. So. There's, there's even room, I guess, to surprise the upside from those numbers. And and we have f f five assets, Matt, I'll just mention. I mean, there's sort of five assets in the wings now that could uh, become revenue producing quite quickly. I mean, there's uh, the Otto Ball, which I mentioned, uh, View Long again in Western Australia, that's moving ahead very quickly, Black Cat Syndicate. Um, you've got the Mount Ida royalty uh, that's in private hands now, so not, not a lot of disclosure, but we are in touch with the, the new owners. Um, there's the British royalty, the Vanadian royalty in South Africa. Um, that's right next door to uh, to the Vometco uh, integrated operation. So um, 
and even the existing pit that they're mining from sort of is down to 60-odd metres. Um, our royalty is an extension of that, um, outcropping at surface. Um, so it's just a matter of time uh, that the bridge royalty will come into production. Once it does, I mean, that's a 20-plus year uh, life of mine or Brits. Um, and then we also have a few assets in, in Canada that we could also see revenues from in the near term. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.